Think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how in the end, we all have rare in common. I'm your host, Andrew Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation, Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. Today, we're speaking with Eve Palang, who was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia five years ago at the age of 33. Join us as we discuss Eve's journey from nurse to patient and back again, and how being in the right place at the right time more than once helped her be healthy and happy today. Thanks for coming in this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, Eve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, So my name is Eve, and I am 38 years old. Um, Are you surprised by that? I am, am because I've had a lot happen to me in my 38 years. Um, But I was in advertising for a few years before I decided to become a nurse and follow my dreams. That's great. Yeah. And lo and behold, as soon as I finished nursing school, my life just... Turned Went around. in a different medical Went in direction than a you expected. very different medical direction, yes. And then sort of my life started again. So I graduated nursing school in January of 2013. And I had just started working on the floor at the hospital. Um, and by March, you know, we had one of those March blizzards, you know, that you get... Um, unexpectedly. So I was outside with my husband and I was shoveling, helping him shovel to get out for the day. And I went into work the next day and, you know, I work at a hospital. So, you know, I had some pain um, in my ribs and I thought, well, I must have pulled a a muscle yesterday when I was shoveling with, you know, with my husband. And, you know, I made it through the day okay. You know, the next day the pain had sort of spread to my back So I was, again, just a little unsure of what it was, and it wasn't going away. So I actually ended up going to urgent care and getting a chest X-ray, just making sure I didn't pull something or, you know, had some serious damage because it just wasn't going away. So my test came back normal. The chest X-ray was normal. So I went home. You know, I think it was a long weekend. My husband was away, and I was working that weekend. And so this is maybe, like, day three, and I went into work, and... The pain had now traveled to my chest, like right over my heart. And I'm a nurse, and I'm on the floor, and I'm helping patients, and my patients come first. So you never put yourself—I mean, I was a new nurse. I had something to prove. You know, I was determined, and it was a long day, but my pain will go away. By the end of the day, when I sat down to document, um, luckily I had a doctor sitting next to me, and I was just sort of holding my hand over my chest, you know, just in pain. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, and he said, you don't look good. And I said, well, I really don't feel good. (laughs) And so he said, well, let me take your pulse. And, you know, I should have grabbed the vital sign machine. It's always something I think about. And I should have taken my pulse and my temp, but I didn't. Because, again, my patients come first and I was at work. 
So he did. He he took a look at me and he said, you know, your pulse is really high. Um, What have you done for this? And I, you know, I told him I had gone to urgent care and my x-rays were, you know, they were normal and I just don't feel right. And he said, well, I would go back and I would advise you to get, you know, a little, some more testing. And he gave me, you know, get a D-dimer, ask for this. And I said, okay. So then that night, So he said, go back to urgent care. He said, go to urgent care. Okay. And... So he kind of gives he gave me the push I needed because otherwise I would have gone home. I would have let it drag. Yeah. So, I mean, were you thinking maybe this is something beyond or were you? I was. No worries yet? I had no idea what was coming down the line. I mean, I see sick patients all the time. So for me to think something was wrong with me, couldn't, it couldn't just, it couldn't be. I was healthy. You know, I I was under a lot of stress. I had just passed the nursing boards. Yeah, I had just started right. a new job. It was the middle of winter. I was tired. We had a snowstorm. You just think of everything else that it could be. Right. You right. never think of the worst case scenario. Right. So of course that night, unless was, you're someone who always thinks of the worst case in there. Unless you're that doctor that was sitting <laughs> next to me, and he was like, "Hmm, something." Right. He, I think he might have had. I mean, I'm sure he didn't ever guess what was coming down the line, but he had an inkling. Yeah. And I'm glad I listened to him. Yes. Because I got home that night and I was bumping into walls. I was sort of like, oh, this doesn't. F-. And, you know, my arm would blow up. And I said that I just bumped into a wall. My arm blew up. So I started getting a little freaked out. So I did. I went and I got all those tests and I got a call, you know, an hour or two later. And they told me to go to my hospital and get some blood work done. So I did, and that's when, in that emergency room, um, a nurse came in, and she told me that they thought I had cancer. Um, And she actually told me it was leukemia. They just weren't sure which kind. So that's when everything blew up. So you thought you had a sprained muscle. So, yeah, right before I had gone in, they told me, you know, it's either—it could either be mono— or it could okay. be ITP, you know, that idiopathic right, thrombocytopenia. Right. And I, I was had just graduated nursing school. I knew everything. I was it was everything was so fresh in my mind. So I'm going back in my head and my notes. I was like, okay, if it's ITP, I can do this, this, and this. Oh, best case scenario. You know, you never wish for mono, but I'm like, I hope I have mono. I hope I have right, mono. Right. Um, but then when I got the diagnosis, it was just earth shattering, mind blowing. So you're alone. It sounds like maybe in the middle of the night. Was so it? it was actually um, my husband came with me and okay. I was ambulanced from, you know, a suburb hospital of Boston into um, Dana-Farber right away, into the Brigham. So, yeah, they did not send you home. No. They said, OK. They ambulanced me there. I was in some sort of I was in like a um, a blast crisis. Yeah, I had to get I had to start chemo. Right away. Immediately. Immediately. No time to process. No. So diagnosis, treatment. Diagnosis, well, biopsies. Right. And ta- not more exams. But, and right but away. I think I was on medical. chemo the next day. Wow. Or the day after. Wow. One or two days post-diagnosis. And it, so did they know which type did they say? Not until I had the 
the biopsy at the Brigham okay. to determine if it was AML or ALL. And so just for those of us who don't know, which one is like, what's the full term? So uh, acute lymphoblastic lymphoma is what I had okay. instead of acute myoblastic, I believe, myo something lymphoma. Okay. Leukemia. Sorry. And what what does that mean? I mean, what what how does that affect your body? So basically you're... Um, Leukemia cells are your white blood cells. Right. So they fight your infections. Your, you know, any sickness you have, it's your white blood cells that fight that. So basically, my body was depleted of white blood cells. My red blood cells were through the roof, and my white blood cells and platelets were down. Way down. Way down. Um, and so I should have known, you know, when I bumped my arm... And I blew up the reaction. The reaction, but you just don't think of those things. Um, and as a nurse, I kind of just when you become the patient. For me, at least in my experience, all of my nursing I had to put aside because I knew too much, and I could always go to the worst case scenario because I I knew. Right. So I had to kind of just take a deep breath and take it step by step and just be the patient. Which was very difficult. That had to be very difficult, particularly because you were new and in nursing, and mm-hmm. you really was all fresh, right? All fresh, and I was all a good. Year. I mean, I was a good nurse. You yeah. know, I was I was on top of my game, um, and I had something to prove. And I was at, you know, I studied hard. I knew everything that was going on. I knew the terminologies. I knew what they were talking about, and I think that made it harder for me until I realized, let it go and be the patient. Yeah. So did you? know any of your physicians beforehand? Did you get to pick your team? Did you meet your team there on the spot? There on the spot. Okay. Um, And I wouldn't have had it any... It it wouldn't have mattered. You know, we're lucky that we live in Boston and we have the best of the best. Yeah, right. Um, And, you know, people come and go and everyone that has... that I've been lucky enough to be a caregiver on my team has been amazing. So... And they're still with me. Most of them. Yeah. That's fantastic. They all still follow me and check in, and it's just a great support team. So how long were you hospitalized the first time upon, like, check-in and complete, like, explosion of what you knew of as your life? Sure. So the initial treatment, um, I believe I was there for three weeks. Okay. And it was round one. did they give you to, did they give you statistics that were very scary? I'm like what for me, I did not want to be a. I said, "Don't give me numbers. This you is did. my battle." Okay. If I was a number, I, that would just put me into a whole different category. You know, if twenty percent of people survive or if eighty percent of people survive, I'm I would just so you I couldn't didn't look handle it, up it. And you didn't ask. could not handle it. My okay. husband googled a few things and he said he would never do that again. Really? Because Google will tell you your worst fears, yeah, right? And you right. can find whatever you want on it. Yeah, it's tricky because in rare disease, there's often little information. But I would say that even though lympho—okay, I'm going to say this wrong. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So can we just call it ALL? ALL, yes. That'll be easier for me. So ALL um, is rare leukemia. There's just far more information out there, I think, than a lot of rare Absolutely. diseases. Absolutely. Right? So. And ALL is more associated with younger children. Okay. So when they were— when we were waiting for the results of the biopsy, they were telling me they suspected it was AML. So for me, I was in my head preparing for AML, and I knew I knew about them both. But when I got the diagnosis of ALL, we were all a little bit surprised because I was 33 years old at the time, and it is a younger. Yeah, um, this is not expected. It wasn't. Do they expected. have any theories about 
why it happened. No, no, not that I know of. So husband's Googling. That's scary. Is he telling you these things or is he? No. I mean, he told me after the fact. Um, And as we've been talking more about it and telling our story, you know, he I kind of feel for him because I didn't know that was happening behind the scene. But he was strong in doing his. He was. He was trying to do as much as he could to support and, you know, get as much knowledge as he could about it so he could help. That's a good partner. Yeah. Three weeks in the hospital. So that was induction is what they call it. Okay. It's like the, you know, they get all the chemo into you that it's an induction phase. How many rounds of chemo? So the goal was to have two or three rounds of chemo and then, you know, hopefully you're in remission. Um, But for me, it didn't go that way. Okay. So I had one and a half rounds before, you know, we had to sort of reevaluate and say, you know, they were like, we're not, this isn't going the way we want it to go. And that's still in the first three weeks? No. So three weeks of induction, and then you have like a two or three week break in between, and then you come back for second round. And, you know, there's just so much more to it than just the chemo. I was 33 at the time, and we had been trying to have children. Um, So had I gone into the second round of chemo, we would have had no chance. So there's just... there's you ha- And you have to weigh that decision. You then, have right? to. And so they were so great and supportive. And they had their infertility teams come in and try to help us at least reserve some eggs and some sperm and have a chance at that after the fact. That is great that they had that support for you it's for that option. They think of everything and they really do. If you tell them, you know, we were trying to have kids because even when I was getting blood work, is there a chance you could be pregnant? And I, Well, hopefully, but... Now, hopefully not. So what's happening with your nursing career at this moment? That's all on, right? So So you've got to do some sort of leave, right, for your job? So the the night, well, I think it was the next day, but the next day after I got my diagnosis, I was supposed to be at work the next day. Mm -hmm. Of course. So I, it's it's crazy. But so I had to call in to work, and of course I'm a puddle, I'm a mess, and I had to tell them, you know, I'm... At the Brigham, I was just diagnosed with leukemia. I'm not coming into work. Um, You know, I'll keep you posted. And they, you know. And this is a real call in. I'm not actually making. This isn't that an aunt just died. I actually have. My poor coworker who had to receive that call. When I went back, I just gave her a hug and I said, I'm sorry you had to get that call. I didn't know what else to do. You know, thank you for picking up the phone. And they were so supportive, too. They came and visited me and, you know. That had to have been hard for you. Yeah. I was brand new. I was a new nurse. Yeah. I mean, this was like like my second or third week on the floor. Oh, you're proving yourself. Yes. Yep. Yeah. This is not like, um, yeah, this this is not third week. This is not good third week behavior. No, exactly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) On week three, you should not have been. I'm like, listen, I really want to be there, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a good reason. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So they say it's not going as planned. What what were your next options? Basically, I had one option, and it was a stem cell transplant. And they go over the procedures and what it entails. And, you know, I luckily I have three brothers, and they were all tested. And, you know, fingers crossed they were matches. But if they're not matches, then you have to, you know, we have to go to the bone marrow registry and see if there's a donor available on the registry. So they give you the worst-case scenario, Um Take you through the procedure and then 
You sign your so life is that away. a fairly new therapy for leukemia? Was it an, a, a well-diagnosed therapy it's, for... It's an existing treatment, yeah. It's okay. been done. They do a lot of them. Okay. Um, so that was favorable for me. Um, it wasn't It wasn't uncommon. And they were pretty confident um, that, in my case, this is what I needed and this would treat it. Okay. And what, but what are the risks? So that's where, you know, you're in a life and death situation. The chemo's not working. You're not getting into remission. This is your only option. Correct. Here right. are the risks. But the risks are in one ear or out the other because you have to get through the bone marrow transplant first. You're not looking at the risks. No. They tell them to you. Look, your risks of without yeah. Doing the treatment are, are significant. Exactly. So, right. so they did bring up veno, venous occlusive disease, which um, is known by VOD. Okay. Um, and I had, Nick and I had, I remember them specifically talking about it as like one of the biggest and riskiest complications. Um, but again, in one ear out the other, let's do this time cell transplant and get through that first. Right. And that's what we did. So we planned for it. But... I had to get into remission first. So I still wasn't so into, in remission. So how do you get in remission if the so chemo's I, not working? Exactly. So there was a clinical trial at the Brigham and at Dana for this non-FDA drug Okay. that if I qualified for, I would have to get. And so I was put on that clinical trial first, and that put me into remission. Thank within goodness. A, couple weeks. Okay. So fast. It's happening. Very quickly. How uh, long did it take for you to get into the trial? It took a few days. There's a lot of paperwork. Uh, But still only a few days. Only a few days. Yeah. And this was all, all of the, at the hospital then, the physicians knew about this trial. So you didn't have to go searching for it yourself. No, very lucky that. Yeah, that's wondrous. I mean, really, it just, these these large university hospitals that have these have incredible so reputations resources. for yep. a reason. Yes. Okay, so your clinical trial that works. You're in remission. Are you feeling better, or are you really I'm still feeling? Feel- I was always myself through chemo, and yeah, I was feeling okay. I was ready for the stem cell transplant because okay. I was just ready to beat this thing and be done with it. Um, so I, and one of your brothers was a match. Yes. Right. So okay. one of my brothers, two of my brothers were matches, and they went with the younger one. <laughs> they go with the say, younger cells. Meeny, meeny, mo, oh, <laughs> no, they went for the younger, the younger cells, cells. Even though it was only a year or two apart, but yes. they went for the younger cells. So he was getting prepped. So we, I pushed for it to be done sooner than later. Which, after treatment, they changed the protocol because I actually relapsed. And they think that maybe because I had the tra- the transplant too closely together with that clinical trial oh, drug, okay. it could have manifested that. So they changed the protocol. I was a guinea pig. Oh, well, right. So, and that's how we learn. And yes, right? absolutely. You took the risk. Um and fortunately, I mean, it was there were consequences that we'll talk about, but you're still here. But now they know. Okay, now let's, they know. Or they can guess anyway, right? Mm-hmm. An N of one is not exactly a, a great correlation. However, I think that without that information, they, they wouldn't know. Right. So. And I am always, you know, I always supported anything they needed. So if they said, you know, can we use your your blood for these exams and for these trials and to test this, I was always volunteering. Because the more information they have, and if I can help in any way, 
Yeah. I was willing to do so. You're already so. going through it. Yeah. So help the next person. Exactly. I, I also have a rare disease and really I'm doing quite well. And when people ask, thanks. I mean, it's a progressive disease, but I do well. And uh, the question is, you know, why why do you stay involved in the in the disease community? And it's always because it's for the next person. To give back. Right? Absolutely. You, you've got to help the here. next person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. That's why we're in this room together. Yes. Yeah. So you do it quickly. So you're in remission, then you do for, the Let's stem cell. I was pushing for let get this done. Okay. Yeah. And, and what happened? We booked a date. My brother got prepped. I was prepped. The prep for that was the most intense therapy, you know, treatment I've had to date. Well, besides the complications that came after. But it was complete total body radiation, chemo, you know, through the roof, um, but that really, they basically depleted. And you have to stay in the hospital for this inpatient. with the total Except body for the, radiation? The total body radiation, weirdly enough, was outpatient. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. It is interesting. I didn't get admitted until I needed the chemo because it's bags of IVs and, you yeah. know. But the total body radiation was 20 minutes, you know, in radiation, um, and then I could go home. But that only was a couple days before I was actually admitted for the chemo, for the full blast. Yeah. And then how long in the hospital prep before? A day, two days? Yeah, just a couple days. Um, They basically depleted my body of every type of cell. So I was down to close to zero with everything. Yeah, I was pretty out of it. Yeah. What about your brother? So my brother... (laughs) What a trooper. But so his prep was, and, you know, I think there's a misconception about the prep for for a donor. You know, I think it used to be the concept, the misconception is that it's painful and it's difficult and they go into your bones and they, you know, they stab you with things and you right. get injected, but it right. really isn't. It's just he had to basically boost up his immune system. So they were giving him. So they're depleting yours. They're depleting mine and boosting, and boosting his, his. So he could donate to me. Right. So it's basically, you know, they give him um, an injection with therapy um, to boost his cells so that he could give them to me. They spin them through this machine. Yeah. I, this is they, where, I, they this just is where take it's out magic to me. It is magic. It's fascinating. Yeah. You always hear this in genetics and you know, like, so they, and then we spin it. And then I yeah. just imagine. And the, you know, the red blood like cells go here. The white blood cells go here. The platelets go machine, here. <laughs> just like. Yeah. It's kind of like dialysis if you think about it. But, right. Um, yeah. So he basically his worst symptom was bone pain. Which is what I was feeling when I had the cramps and the back aches, which I didn't know. It masks to me. I didn't know the difference between bone pain and muscle pain. Interesting. And the bone until pain, you felt until it. Until you felt it, and, and then you, and then you know the difference. So, and then in retrospect, you realize, oh, it was ding bone ding. Pain. That was okay. bone pain. I didn't know. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of this aching, like throbbing pain in your bones. And did he, was he outpatient the whole time? He was inpatient. Yes, he was outpatient. Okay. It was a few hours a day for a few days. And? Four or five hours a day. Did the bone pain remain for him for a while? They gave him things to help with his pain, but no. I mean, (laughs) comparably, you know, it was a a cakewalk. Awesome. And he didn't complain once. So when did you know, fast forwarding just a little bit, you tell me how long it was, uh, that there were some problems. Uh, right, at, with, almost right away. With stem cell. Like two days after. You did. So the the transplant, again, 
you think it's this big, enormous procedure and it's complicated, but it's not. You're, they hang a bag of blood and it's infused. It's like an IV. Right. Um, so that happened on the 8th of, Oct- of August in 2013. And within one or two days, I just blew up. My body was retaining water. Um, I was seeing double. You gained some weight, right? I gained a lot of water weight. Mm-hmm. I was retaining water. Um you know, so and did you know, like, this is not good? Or were you not sure? No, I knew it wasn't good. But I I was in so much pain that they were giving me pain meds, and I wasn't processing them well. So I was beginning to be disoriented. I was seeing double. Mm. My feet were enormous. Like, I've never seen my uh, extra large hospital socks weren't. They had to cut to fit my feet. Oh, man. I looked like I'm a pretty petite person, and I looked like I was five, six months pregnant. You know, I was just retaining water. So it was a serious issue. And I could tell by the looks. You get to know your doctors and their faces and their mannerisms. And when they're worried about something and when they're not. Yeah. And so I read the room and I knew something was serious. Yeah. You knew your feet didn't look good and you knew their faces didn't look good. Exactly. And when they're in your room a lot, not a good sign. Not a good sign. So And when they have teams of people coming in to check on you and... It's serious. Right. And I was going down for ultrasounds. So what ended up happening is I developed, of course, a rare complication (laughs) called VOD, venous occlusive disease. Mm -hmm. My liver shut down and I wasn't processing anything. No medications, no treatments. And this was a risk that you knew about. You knew about. What are the options? Yeah. So. But lucky you. Lucky me. You get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lucky me, of course. Lucky, I'm And lucky. at that point, nothing had been going my way. So I hadn't been in remission. You know, I needed a stem cell transplant. You just, you're like, okay, one more thing. Here we go. And how do they treat VOD? Is there a treatment for so, VOD? The scary thing is, and what we had, and you know, my husband, of course, tells me all of this after the fact, but he's out in the hallway with a nurse and she says... You know, VOD is probably the scariest complication you could develop because the treatment for it is sort of a double-edged sword. They they treat it with a clot buster, but the clot buster then makes you bleed internally. So the treatment itself is risky. Luckily for me, there was a doctor rounding on the floor that day that was the developer of this, again, non-approved FDA clinical trial drug. Another one. Another one. He was on the floor rounding. His name is Paul Richardson. He is brilliant. And he was at the Brigham that day. And it's, so this drug is a clot buster, but it treats, it doesn't make you bleed internally. It, it, so basically, so like blast the clot. It yes, it like attacks the clot, but it doesn't make you bleed. And and the clot's in the liver. The clot's in the liver. Okay. So my liver's blocked with all of these clots. Okay. So he was rounding that day. They pulled him in, and he said, "Yeah, she has VOD." And the drug that he developed is a clinical trial at the Brigham at that time. Unbelievable. So I, all the stars really, aligned for me. When I go back me, to me being sarcastic, lucky you, now really, I get to go, really, though, yeah. really. That's amazing. Yeah, I still get chills thinking about it because it could have taken, if I had waited any longer, or if we had made this diagnosis any further along, I might have not been here. 
I was lucky enough that he was there that day. And was he, timing and he, there he timing, was. Timing, all about timing. And so he got me on the on that clinical trial. And that well, worked. after the nurse is telling the, your husband the risks, he was probably pretty willing to say, let's try something, even though we don't know. And the efficacy of that treatment is not good. It's, you know, it's like, and I, again, I'm not a statistics person, mm-hmm. but it's not good. Were you hesitant? Like, okay, I've just done one unapproved. No. I'm really a guinea pig no. here. No, you weren't. You're like, let's do it. And I really, at that point, I don't know if I had a choice. I think it was my husband and my family. I mean, I know I signed things. I signed right. things. But you were really But I trust it. Yeah, and I yeah. trust my team and I trust my family. So it was like, yes, let's do this. Okay. So they do the treatment quickly? Quickly. I mean, again, maybe it's like a day paperwork or two. for clinical trial stuff. And I then was that's so it. out of it, but yes. Wow. Yeah. And do you know right away it works? Is that so? Basically, they kept doing ultrasounds on my liver to see if it was clearing up and if it, if there was blood flow through it. Okay. And yeah, in a few days, I started. You Could know, you the see water your weight. feet? I mean, you probably well, could just see it everything. Took a while. Right? That took a while to Did come it? down, but yes, it started. It started coming down, and it was a big relief. And it's a one-time treatment. Oh, no. So that was the longest I had ever stayed inpatient, was getting defibrotide. It was, at the time, and it might still be, but it's a 30-day inpatient treatment. Oh, wow. Every yeah. day? Every day. Three three times a day, every day. Okay. So, yeah, they don't let you go. They don't let you. They've got to watch everything and collect all of that data. Yep. Day by day, hour by hour. Wow. Yeah. And my husband, so I think when you're in that scenario, you start to pick things up. And he would come down to the ultrasound with me, and he would read the screen, you know, when he would listen. And he knew there was something different about this particular ultrasound and the noises it was making and the blood flow. He he knew it was working. That's he knew yeah, before he they told see. him that. So I was is gonna that be okay. is and I'm jumping, but is that drug approved now? Do you know? It was just FDA approved this past year. Oh, that's very yeah. exciting. For someone like you who really saw that, uh, what about the first drug that you you took? I believe that was FDA approved as well. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. When did you get back to work? So let's finish up all this happiness. Sure. Because so it's working. You're. I was in a bubble for a year. At home. At home. Um, And there's strict protocols, you know. You can't have more than a handful of people in your house. You definitely you can't, can't go to be the, at a hospital. No. <laughs> you, you can't go to the grocery store. Oh, I mean, it's my. just, it's very... And is that home. from ALL? It's from your body. You, no you have no immune system. So would that have happened if if just the chemo worked or no. it was from the it stem cell transplant? It was because of the stem cells transplant. Okay. Yep. So you basically have to give your body time to sort of regain all of its... You know, your all of its blood work, all of your its immune system. Yeah. So I had a new immune system from my brother. Okay. Which basically I was a newborn. Yeah, it was like a con, like a foundation, and it's, it had to build build up. Yep. Just okay. compare it to being a newborn, and yes. newborns get their immunizations at two months, four months, six months. So right. that's what the process I had to go through. Okay. I had to get re-immunized, be in a bubble for a year, wow. and then I was, you know, slowly they introduced things back to me. You know, you can go That's outside for a walk, really but don't go buy about. a lawnmower because you could inhale. The, it's just 
fascinating. The pollens, the anything, allergens. Anything. Wow. If you get a fungus into your lungs, then you could. It's just beyond what you can imagine. Yeah, no. It's very, I, I very really strict. hadn't. In all my rare disease experience, I, I hadn't really thought about just the rebuilding of your immune system there. Because it's, it's a blood disorder. Yeah, right. So it's your entire body. Yep. It's not just one part of your it's body. It's not one organ. It's it's your blood. Everything. Yeah. No. So you're not fighting tough. the illness, but you're fighting for strength. Exactly. Well put. Yeah. And how did you then reacclimate after a year? I mean, it's I'm sure slow, as you said. Very slowly. Yeah. And here again is the medical knowledge in the background I had. I knew that if I caught a cold, it could turn into pneumonia and things could escalate. Okay. So even though they said, you know, you can go to the grocery store, you can start doing this, you can start... I was very, you took very, it pretty seriously. very seriously, very compliant. That that must be. But I think it helped. I yeah. think I mean, I was very healthy. And now how long has it been? So it's been five years since the transplant and three years in remission because That's I did have exciting. a bounce back. You did after. Yeah. How so I had after? gone to work. I had gone back to work. And then within a few months, I had leukemia in my skin. And which was again. Now you didn't look at the statistics, but you knew I'm sure there was a risk factor for that. I really didn't even didn't even cross my mind because I was feeling good. I was working, and then I found this bump on my back, and I thought, hmm. So I watched it for a while, and sure enough, biopsied it, and it was leukemia cutis. So it had some of the leukemia cell. Some of the cancer cells that weren't so leukemia uh, cancer cells are very very tricky. Yeah, they find places to hide in your body. Well, they're genius, right? They're genius. I mean, that's why we're still fighting. I mean, exactly. this is why we're so a good place to hide is your skin because it's very tough to get to. So that's what happened. A cluster of them found the spot in my skin on my back and formed this sort of like almost like a hive. And I watched it for a while, and then I said, no, I have to go. It wasn't going away. It wasn't. Now, could they just cut it out? Because I'm thinking probably not. Well, they never just, yeah, yeah right? So right. they cut it out, yes. And then but. it was radiation. Okay. Um, and it was, and then again, out of work again? Out of work again. Because it was continuous. Okay. I had a continuous bag for three months of treatment. Yeah. I had a pouch and, you know, the whole nine oh, yards. Okay. That's got to, I'm sure that felt like a big stumbling block. Yeah. Or were you like, oh, no, we've got this. But it's such a roller coaster. It really is. So now it's been three years since that happened. Since that happened. How long until you could go back to work after that? So that happened in the beginning of the year. Let's say I think it was like February or March. And I went back to work in September or October of that year. So I had treatment all, all summer. Took a few weeks off, and then I said, no, I'm ready. And because ha- I, I just had gotten a taste of it back, you know? So I'm like, I have to I have to go back out there. I can't live my life on the couch being feeling sorry for myself. Have you felt really confident? I mean, I, I imagine this has really changed your experience as a nurse. I mean, <sighs> you didn't have a ton of time to no. create your, you know, your nursing self. So the first, but- and, and that's a great question, because the first job I took after being sick was a non-nursing job. 
I went back to my advertising days. Really? Because I was scared of the germs in the hospital. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So I said, I need to get back out there, but I'm not going back to a hospital. I'm not ready for that yet. So I went back to advertising for a little while, and then I got, you know, the relapse. But then I said to myself, I've been through so much. I've learned so much that... I need to give back. So that's when I was ready to go back. Really? So it was almost like an impetus, like, okay, it was my dream, and now... It was a wake-up moment, yeah. And now you're three years. Now I'm three. And you're nursing? I am nursing, but I got off the floor. I'm nursing in a different capacity, um, working from home and going into an office twice a week. So long-term, do you feel like that actually is beneficial for your health? I mean, do you get nervous or would you not be nervous I to do. be in the hospital? But you know what the great thing about nursing is? I can always go back to the floor. And when I'm ready, I will. Okay. But for now, for me and my sanity, I'm good where I am. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So you were a, an adult and diagnosed essentially with a childhood illness. I mean, not completely. And now you are fighting um, in your continued health. Are you back on track? Did it change the course of your family plans? What's 100 yeah. percent changed everything. Um, but <laughs> I think I think it made me a better person. It made me it definitely made me a better nurse. I'm more patient in my life. Um, we have a clearer picture of what we want. You know, we make sacrifices for the things we want. Right. And I'm not just I'm not so quick anymore, so fast paced anymore. I think we really have taken the time to breathe, enjoy our lives, you know, not take things so seriously. You know, I find myself sometimes complaining and my husband and I will just look at each other and we'll go, really, what is there to complain about? So you have that perspective that I never would have had. And have not gone through this. He sounds like he's been incredibly supportive through all of this. Amazing. Yeah. I couldn't have had a better partner. Yeah, it, I think it was maybe harder on him in some in some. So what are your next plans? So we just adopted a baby girl. So oh, we got to fulfill our dream. Thank you. So we are building our family. Uh, we're happy, healthy. She's three and a half months old. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so we... So you're not sleeping again. No, I'm back to, you know, my my nights when I was working nights at the hospital. But now I don't get to sleep during the day, so it's... So, yeah. (laughs) But it's a good, it's a happy tired. No, there's no clock out, but it's great. It's our dream. That's Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, you're a nurse. I'm a nurse. And you beat this. Yeah. And you have a little daughter. Yep. That is so fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming in, Eve, and sharing your pleasure. story. It was really great to meet you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare in Common podcast. If you enjoyed the program, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Rare in Common. Click. Listen. Feel. Feel.